This is Stories from the World podcast series, copyright 2020, all rights reserved. On May 13, 2011, the waters of Bayou Shane had already risen significantly. Concerned for the well-being of the gravestones of his mother and his uncle, Rue Seneca Sr. felt it was necessary to visit the gravesite, especially since the following day the gates of the Morganza Spillway were scheduled to be opened to relieve pressure on a swollen Mississippi River. Along with his son, Gene Seneca, they traveled nearly an hour by boat up Bayou Sol, then along a section of the Atchafalaya River, and finally the long stretch of Bayou Shane. When they arrived at the cemetery, the water level had already reached the gravestones. Worried that the pending flood would wash them away, Gene managed to lift each gravestone one at a time and carry them a considerable distance back to the boat. The large stone cross, which was too large and too heavy to move, was left behind. But before leaving, Gene drove an anchor deep into the ground, then secured a heavy canvas strap around the neck of the cross. For nearly the next four years, the gravestones resided at Gene Seneca's house. The early morning air of April 21, 2015, was dense with moisture and heavy with a penetrating chill. This was the day that Gene had chosen to return the gravestones to the cemetery at Bayou Shane. As Gene exited the side door of his house, I noticed he was wearing a lifting brace secured tightly around his waist. He had decided the night before that a dolly would be the best way to move the gravestones to the truck. Gene had created somewhat of a sacred place for the gravestones to reside while on hiatus from Bayou Shane. It was a small garden of iris plants planted around the base of a tree. Submerged within these plants were the two gravestones. Behind them and leaning against a tree was a moderate-sized handmade wooden cross. Pushing back the iris to expose the gravestones and to make somewhat of a pathway, Jean then took the dolly and positioned it in front of the first stone. With a reverence, he pulled the stone back, turned, and began to push it towards the truck. Once that stone was positioned, he returned for the second one, and again, with the same reverence, placed it onto the dolly, removed it from its resting place, and transported it to the truck. As the gravestones were secured in the back of Gene's pickup truck, he told me a bit about them. Voris Diamond, he said, died when he was 19 years old of typhoid fever. Addie Diamond, his grandmother, died when she was 25. Both were born, raised, and died in Bayou Shane. It was the only home and the only life they had ever known. Gene then loaded another type of dolly into the truck's bed, one designed for deer hunters. It had larger wheels and a wider wheelbase for navigating the rugged terrain. With that, we climbed into the truck and headed to the boat put in at Bayou Sol. Before putting the boat into the water, we transferred everything from the bed of the pickup truck, including the gravestones. It was a challenge, but one that seemed ideally suited for such a pilgrimage. 
The water was high and flowing with a strong current. We made our way up Bayou Saul, fighting against its resistance. I sat with my back braced firmly. My feet were positioned up on the small deck of the boat and pressed against the gravestones, providing them support against the bouncing as well as the numerous and sometimes sharp side-to-side turns in order to avoid the debris of floating logs that cluttered the muddy river. As we approached the expanse of the Atchafalaya River, running perpendicular to us, it was no surprise to see an even stronger current awaiting us. As we prepared to enter the Atchafalaya, Jean throttled up the outboard engine as we transitioned from one body of water to the other, then turned the boat a sharp right, bringing us in line with the river, once again traveling against the strong current. A pleasant surprise awaited us, however, because of the extremely swollen river, the dike that blocked the old entrance to Bayou Shane was now overflowing with water. This allowed us to enter in the place that the old timers used, those who lived in Bayou Shane decades ago. It was, in fact, the same passage that Addie and Voris would have taken when they were alive, in the only passage of Bayou Shane that they would have known. As we navigated the high waters of Bayou Shane, it was like being in a different world. The high water level covered the base of the trees and the water now extended far into the wooded landscape. Willow trees, which have now become prominent along the shoreline of Bayou Shane, have created a canopy as the thin trunks of the young trees tower high and curve inward. The abundance of these willows is due to the large volume of sandy deposits that flow down from the Mississippi creating an ideal growing environment for these trees. Jean Seneca throttled back the outboard engine as we scanned the left river bank for signs of the cemetery. In recent months, small signs have been placed on trees stating where the post office and other community buildings of Bayou Shane once stood. There seems to be a revival underway of the culture and the way of life that once existed here. Eventually, we came upon a sign secured to a tree that sat a short distance from the shoreline. It read, Bayou Macaulay Cemetery, property of Dave Allen Ayers. This was the Catholic cemetery, as opposed to the Methodist cemetery that we had passed a short distance before. Jean continued upriver past the sign's location to allow for drift by the strong current. He then turned the bow of the boat into the direction of the riverbank and navigated into the small indentation just big enough for the boat to squeeze into. As the bow made contact with the shoreline, I jumped to solid ground and secured the thick nylon rope to a tree, ensuring that the boat would remain in its place. Jean followed behind me, transferring the dolly from the boat to the heavy undergrowth of the forest. Next, the gravestones were transferred to the ground of Bayou Shane. The first stone to be taken to the gravesite was that of Addie Diamond, Jean Seneca's grandmother. Jean maneuvered the all-terrain dolly a few hundred yards, twisting and turning through the forest of heavy undergrowth and vines. Reaching the gravesite, Jean immediately began to hack away at the thick undergrowth with his machete, clearing the site itself. 
the large stone cross that Jean had left behind four years earlier, secured by a canvas strap to an anchor driven deep into the ground, remained in its place, seemingly unscathed. After clearing the site, Jean examined the stone cross, then, in a moment of deep reverence, squatted at its base and laid his right hand upon it, as if reconnecting with his past, as well as the sacredness of this place. The stone cross stood as the matriarch of this hallowed ground. Returning to the boat, Jean transferred the second gravestone, that of Voris Diamond, and retraced as best as one could the traverse back to the gravesite. With both stones having been returned, Jean positioned them as closely as his memory would allow to their original place of rest. The actual graves, he told me, were about 20 feet down. Since the bodies were originally buried back in the early 1900s, the ground has been covered by nearly 20 feet of sediment from the Mississippi. Jean pointed to the top of a large oak tree about 10 yards from the gravesite. Only 15 feet or so of the tree was exposed above the ground. Its base was at the same level as the original gravesite. The rising waters and heavy sediment from the Mississippi were the downfall of Bayou Shane and the cause of its eventual evacuation. The annual Bayou Shane reunion was scheduled to take place just four days later, on April 25, 2015. Gene thought it would be a good opportunity for a few other members of his family to visit the gravesite, to see the returned gravestones, and to do a bit more clearing. Also, Gene had made another wooden cross, similar to the one that leaned against the tree amidst the iris garden at Gene's house where the stones had been on hiatus. This, he said, was to be placed on the tree above the cemetery sign. Gene had also invited his nine-year-old granddaughter, Kinsley, to accompany him to the reunion and to the gravesite. This would be her first visit to Bayou Shane. When Saturday arrived, the remains of a tornado were evident. It had passed through Bayou Pigeon the night before. The sky was heavily overcast, but the weather forecast had shown that the rains, at least the heavy rains, would pass us to the north. We drove to the put-in at Bayou Saul, then repeated the ritual of transferring everything we needed from the truck to the boat. The current was far stronger than it had been four days earlier. The wind was also an issue. Within 15 minutes of beginning this journey, the rain began. At first it was a light rain, but soon it became a torrential downpour. Fog was also an issue, as a thick layer laid on top of the water in many places obscuring it from view. Jean turned on the front and rear running lights. Our speed was diminished a bit because of the issues with visibility. As we reached the entry point to the Atchafalaya River, Jean once again throttled up the outboard engine. The current of the Atchafalaya was fierce and the waves were capped in white. Turning the boat hard to the right to align it with the direction of the big river, the resistance was intense. The bow of the boat raised then slammed back down repeatedly, as if keeping beat with a heavy metal drum solo. As we approached the entrance to Bayou Shane, 
we could see through the heavy fog the piercing blue flashing lights of the sheriff's boats. They were there to mark the entrance and safe passage. After a few hours at the reunion, the rains continued to fall, hard and steady. Jean felt that if we didn't head to the cemetery now, we wouldn't make it. The three of us returned to the boat. In the three hours since we arrived at the reunion, the water level had risen significantly. Jean pulled up the boat's canopy, covering the control panel and giving some protection, for the moment at least, from the rain. Kinsley shared the driver's seat with her grandpa and even took control of the wheel from time to time. Visibility was severely impaired. The rain was so heavy that it obscured the shoreline to a large degree. Finally, we saw the bright orange flagging tape that Jean had tied in several places along the shoreline when we were there earlier in the week. Maneuvering the boat back into the tiny niche, I repeated the process of jumping from the boat's bow to secure the nylon rope to the tree. Leaning a stepladder against the tree, Jean climbed to its limit. Kinsley held the ladder at its base to secure its footing. For the next 15 minutes or so, Jean meticulously secured the wooden cross to the tree, making sure that it was positioned just right. Then we returned to the gravesite. A cousin of Jean's had come by a couple of days before and put the gravestones up on cinder blocks. As we reached the site, the water level was already several inches deep, rising about halfway up the cinder blocks. Jean took this opportunity to tell Kinsley about her relatives and about the community of Bayou Shane. What surprised me most of all was how respectful and how attentive this nine-year-old was. Sopping wet and even a bit cold, she listened to what her grandpa had to tell her, and it was obvious that she understood its importance. After several more minutes, we returned to the boat, pushed back into the river, this time heading with the current and headed for home. The rain continued its deluge, and visibility was still at a minimum. The fog, however, had lifted, exposing the heavy debris of logs throughout the entire length of the river. The wind, combined with the speed of the boat, caused the raindrops to sting as they made contact with our faces and especially our eyes, which we had to leave unprotected so that we could navigate and avoid the debris. For the next 48 minutes, we indulged in one of life's great adventures, Twisting, turning, bouncing, the rain combined with the wind and the speed of the boat even caused the water to penetrate my three layers of Gore-Tex. Kinsley fell asleep nestled close to her grandpa as he piloted the boat. It was as much a great adventure as it was a moving pilgrimage, and quite possibly a new story to be told in later years by an upcoming generation. Continuing the tradition of Bayou Shane. You have been listening to Stories from the World podcast series, copyright 2020, all rights reserved.